0: We're firing up the Infernal Machine for a violent night of lynch-talking Oz. And after 25 years of UK garage, we're serving Tori and Lakita some India sweets and spices. I'm Van Conner. And I'm Adam Ball, and this is Offscreen, your
1: seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. <laughs> Groovy. Hello and welcome back to the show. We are going to start, as we always do, with some brand new movies that are out this week. So, we are going to start with Tori and Lokita.
0: Yeah, this one, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know an awful lot about this one going in. Going in, I knew that it was a foreign language drama. I knew that it referred to the two central characters. And I'll be really honest, I thought this was some sort of romantic drama. And then I watched it and discovered, no, no, it could not be further <laughs> removed from a romantic drama. So the best way to describe it, this takes place in present-day Belgium, is about two young African immigrants, uh, Tori and Lakita. Tori is, I think, uh, like a nine, ten-year-old, old boy, Lokita seems to be 14, 15 years old, Um, they have been sent to Belgium, basically through the human trafficking system, indentured servitude, as it were, to work odd jobs, work for drug dealers, things like that, and send the money home to mum. But they are indebted, of course, to the local crime syndicate that actually got them there in the first place, who are in turn squeezing them. But every penny they can in the process. And what happens is Lokita, in in exchange for a, a fake set of, uh, of papers, of government documents that register as being able to work there, has to commit to working for three months in what's effectively a warehouse that's uh, you know, segmented into individual cannabis grow rooms. And she's literally the on-staff grow Maintenance person. I'm not sure what the actual uh, uh, term is, but basically the the watcher of you know you have to lower them at a certain time. And I, I obviously I don't know an awful lot about the mechanics. I think so. they call them sleepers. Yeah. Actually, I think that's what. Yeah, they're they called sleepers. Called. That that would yeah. that would that would make sense. And it is about how she has to deal. She has to deal with her isolation there. In the meanwhile, Tory is looking for her as well. That they're cut off from communication. She's not allowed her mobile phone because you know she's told the police can track those even when they're. T- Turned off, etc. Um, this is it's only about 88 minutes long. And it is fascinating. It's a harrowing drama. But it's really something. So, uh, the cast that you've got in here, you've got uh, Jolie Mabundu as uh, Lokita, who I think is, is really the central, of the, the more central of the, of the two characters. And, oh, wow, what a performance. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always a fan of pointing out how some foreign language performances can transcend the language barrier to the point you get quite an invest- investable turn, quite an emotive performance, quite nuanced. Uh, this mm. is decidedly one of those. I also really like uh, Pablo Schills as Tori, uh, who has this. Kind of really lovable precociousness about him without being annoying. You know what I mean? Because he's he's the little boy character always can be annoying really easily in more or less any movie, but somehow he he manages to uh, negate that. Um, you've got just a murderous row of uh, you know unlikable criminal you know exploiters you know to, to, to hand. I really like the way that they have they have sort of framed uh, Belgium here as as this you know, enabling seedy criminal underworld, it does not go where you think it's going to go. It is blunt. It is harsh. I really liked it. I will say it's one of those annoying cases where more happens in the last 10 minutes than happens in, like, the hour before it. Like, it does feel like they kind of race to the finish line. You do feel like the really punchy 88-minute runtime may have necessitated that. It feels like it could have been like 105 minutes, like maybe there's an extra 15 that's meant to be on there. You know, yeah. kind, of, kind of an idea. Um, but, I will say yes, yes, definitely watch this. This is really, really something. Uh, written and directed by uh, Luc Jean-Pierre uh, Dardenne. Who I believe they're brothers, um, who are all the filmmakers. Who and I did have their their repertoire down here really, and I've uh, I've annoyingly changed the page. Two days, one night, and the kid with a bike are their movies. This I thought was a proper banger. This is like I say, a really harsh, cruel drama. Doesn't quite go into the the the, the more morbid realms of like Oscar Bates. But I could see this getting put forward for like best international feature or something like and I would champion it happily. I thought Tori Likita was really, really good. So this is, let me just get this right. This is complete fiction, right? It's not based on true, true stories. This, this is complete fiction. But I think like all these things, there are elements that have been taken from real stories.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, I, I like the sound of that because where you said look, it, it doesn't go where you expect it to. For me, that's mm-hmm. what makes a movie. I love Twists and turns and things that you don't expect. So that sounds um, that sounds really good. and Akita, and that is out in cinemas from today. Next, then India sweets and spices. Explain what this one's all about.
0: Right, I'll be really honest. This this is one. I I just kind of looked at the poster. I saw it. I saw a trailer on on I think it was like Instagram or something like that for this. And I it was kind of I kind of muted. Like I heard like ten seconds of the audio. and I thought to myself oh good god I pretty poor git who has to review that and then of course we, we do the, the, the planning for the following week and it turns out I'm the poor git that has to review that only I'm not because it's not what I thought it was at all so on the surface this looks like a sort of boilerplate American set South Asian you know so almost culture clash rom-com and oh, no no it's not it's more of a familial drama there is a slight rom-com element we have got a clip for this one actually um because unlike Tori Lakita, this one actually is uh, mostly in English language. So this stars uh, Sophia Ali. Now, she apparently is in Grey's Anatomy, which I don't watch. So I wasn't overly familiar with her. Uh, she was in the Uncharted movie as well, which I did watch, and I don't remember her being in it um I, I will say yeah i feel i feel ashamed for that because i, I feel <laughs> like i feel like i should um it also starts Shah, who was the hunky sexy teen love interest in ms marvel this past year and uh, he and he, young british actor who no, had a sort of very noticeable charismatic presence and i remember thinking at the time yeah there's something of a shahzad latif about you i could see you breaking through and I, I might be right about that. So, this follows uh, Alia, uh, played by Sophia Ali, um, who comes home from college for, I think it's for the summer. And, you know, she's spending time with the family. It's, it's a sort it's of upper middle class, uh, you know, South Asian neighborhood in New Jersey. And it is about how the. the the, the resulting families, the interlocking community is basically made up of families who, they go back a ways, like the dads know each other or some of the mums went to college together and this is actually pretty kind of true to reality. From my experience of growing up in Middle Eastern culture, quite similar. The film is literally partitioned by the parties that they're having, So, oh, it's this person's party, a card will cover the screen, it's this person's party. and. So what you have is uh, Sophia Ali meets Rishar's character, who works at the local Asian food store, where they go where they go before all of these parties to stock up on very specific supplies. For instance, like there is a specific kind of biscuit that they always serve, which is that are only sold in this store. And as she gets to know Rishar's character, she discovers that their mums went to college together back in India, and her mum is a lot more and and his family obviously are a lot more working class than hers, who are a lot more upper class. And this leads to something of a, a of a a, a class divide within the community that also coincides with them discovering that uh, alia's father happens to be having an affair with her other potential love interests mum and yeah yeah and and this becomes a sort of empowerment tale about facing up to the past and also facing up to your role not only within your community but also how you view yourself have a listen this isn't really plot specific this is kind of just play setting and a little sort of insight into how the family just sort of go about the day okay i'm off to the driving range ranjeet we're out of biscuits again i asked her to bring more last weekend didn't i do you want us to get embarrassed like the bhatia's running out of them in front of everyone
1: oh baba so some people didn't have biscuits who cares indians eat way too much sugar as it is
0: that's not the point ranjeet just get them for the party now Okay, I'll pick some up, and then all our troubles will be over, no? Hey, Alia, your mom needs you to go to the Indian store to buy some biscuits for the party. What? Why can't you go?
1: I'm golfing, see?
0: I'm relaxing, see? (laughs) Candyball!
1: So you mentioned about Alia kind of realising and figuring those things out. I'm guessing there's more than just one secret here
0: there's a lot more under the, it's one of those stories about the, the you know the multitude of secrets that exist behind you know the seemingly perfect curtain of any community i and, and it is interesting as well that on that you could supplant this for a number of different cultures around the world like you could do this with middle eastern culture very easily for instance but for me it was a really well-written set of relationships that really pulled this together um I didn't think, they didn't quite hang as much on Rish Shah and and Sophia Ali's sort of natural chemistry and overt sexiness as I expected they would, to be really honest. Like, if this was coming from a trashier filmmaker, you you get the impression they would have. Um, But Gita Malik, who's written and directed this, does seem more fixated on the more dramatic, dare I say, and I don't want to say this in a sort of negative connotation, but soapier elements. Um, you heard in the clip there, you will have heard uh, Manisha Karali as uh, her mother, Sheila. Uh, I think it's uh, Adil Hussein who plays Ranjit, her father. And they are very good. Very good in this. I think um, the character of Sheila in particular really gets a solid turnaround here. I, 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 I say I liked this a lot more than I expected to do. And I was expecting this to be just some drivel rom-com.
1: It's always nice when you get a little bit of a surprise with something like that. You're expecting something that's boring and actually you you really get invested in it. Uh, So that's India Sweets and Spices. Again, that is also out today in cinemas. Now, have you ever imagined Santa Claus with guns and knives? Because that's what you're going to get next. We are going to review Violent Night in just a minute. Stay there. Hello, and we are back. Uh, And hello to you if you are listening to us in the car, in the gym, or just at the sink washing up. We are sticking with some more brand new movies out this week. This one, I have been waiting to chat about with you, Van. We're talking Violent Night, which is out in cinemas today. I think we've spoken about it on this podcast before, and you kind of said it's a mixture of Die Hard and Santa
0: effectively i mean i think it I, I think one of the film publications has called it uh, die hard meets miracle on 34th street which is a hell of a combination, if we're being honest. Um, I uh, I'd I just say Die Hard with, with Santa, with actual Santa would be the way to do it. But the big selling point for me, beyond how awesome that concept alone uh, is, is the fact that this comes from 87 North, who are the guys that made John Wick and Nobody an Atomic Blonde. It's directed by Tommy Wakola, who gave us um, Dead Snow, Dead Snow 2, Red or Dead, and of course, Hansel and Gray witch hunters so he knows how to do a bit of subversion have you ever seen dead snow that's the christmas nazi zombie movie
1: no no see i've always stayed away from zombie movies but maybe i should try them
0: do if you, if you like a bit of zombies and Nazis, Dead Snow and its sequel got you covered. But Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters I do always think is quite underrated. And also one of Gemma Arston's better attempts at a Hollywood temple. Uh, so this stars David Harbour from Strange Things. I love, by the way, that we're reviewing this very seasonal uh, Christmassy movie and you are clearly so cold in your in your <laughs> your external studio that there is literally, there's, there's the breath of cold air every time you breathe. Um, yep. So David Harbour is Santa Claus and this is, this is present day it opens with Santa being quite jaded drinking his sorrows away at the bar on Christmas Eve before he sets out to do the next batch of presents and, and he's he's obviously' he's, he's feeling a bit like people don't appreciate him anymore people don't really believe in Christmas they just want their toys they just want they just want their video games that's another thing he's sick of They're, they don't even make toys anymore all he's doing is delivering Amazon packages of I actually mean, they even have a Aww. gag that he comes down the chimney and under someone's Christmas tree a just amazon packages so he's <laughs> quite jaded about it and he as he says there's a good chance this could be his last christmas and it might be but not for the reasons he thinks so it turns out that this house he's going to see next which is the lightstone family mansion which is you know one of those nice fancy rich people mansions that's isolated with all their own private security et home alone house F- fancier than that that actually at least was in the suburbs this is like oh. out in the woods kind of thing this is like a, a rich person's house this is a proper rich person's house and uh, we quickly discover that the uh, the matriarch of the family beverly d'angelo uh, plays plays the matriarch of the family is in bed with the u.s government she's like a defense contractor and she literally has a vault in the basement with hundreds of millions of dollars in it and her you know her dysfunctional family uh, think uh, Knives Out, that kind of family dynamic. They all have their own beefs with each other and their own little squabbles. And As they're getting into this squabble, which this year does seem to revolve around who's going to take over the family business, um, wouldn't you know it, terrorists show up, led by John Leguizamo, and they take the family hostage so that they can rob the $640 million of... Oh, no, hang on, that's the other... Christmas hostage movie. Sorry. This is $300 million <laughs> of, uh, of, of just cash. Die Hard's negotiable bearer bonds. I still don't. I'm 39. I don't know what a negotiable bearer bond is. Um, I only know because of Die Hard that that is a thing. Anyway, John Leguizamo is the Hans Gruber. He turns up to do his terrorist thing. He's going to rob the vault. He's going to take the $300 million. But he hasn't counted on the fact that Santa's come down the chimney at the worst possible time. And one of his goons catches him in the act of delivering the presents, assumes that he's just some idiot in a Santa suit, beats the crap out of him, or tries to, and very quickly gets his ass handed to him because, get this, Santa's a badass. Have a listen. What is it that you want exactly, Santa? I want you to put down your weapons. I want you to let this family go. And then I want to find my reindeer and I want to continue delivering my presents security guard who's watched too many action flicks some
1: loser ex-cop stuck in a mall playing dress-up with fat kids on your lap
0: stop me when i get it right it's a little more complicated than that not to me it's not because i want to make it my personal mission my holiday to-do list to find you and to end you that is a terrible thing to want for christmas maybe you and i should discuss that in person Santa Claus is coming to town. So I'm
1: assuming they lull you into a kind of a false sense of security at the start where you think it's just a a little kind old Santa Claus who can't really defend himself, sorting this out, and then suddenly, wham bam, he's a badass.
0: Well, I mean, by starting with him quite drunk and sweary in the way they do, they kind of very they kind of chip their hand early on as to what kind of guy he is. Right. There are layers to him that do do peel back as this goes on. And you learn he's a lot closer to uh, something more like Krampus at times than, than even <laughs> Santa Claus. Um, this is this is absolutely brilliant. Like this, I, I, I was I was gunning for this to be kind of disappointing if I'm honest because it's such a good concept, you know. Yeah, and yeah, they they do movies like this. We get one every couple of years, and they never quite live up to to, to the potential. Uh, this turns out to be the right mixture of silly and sadistic in the right, in the exact right hands. Like this, handing this over to the eighty seven North guys and having David Harbour be the dude, having John Leguizamo. As that villain, as you can hear from the clip, there is a certain visceral nastiness that John Leguizamo brings to this, and he was in the menu recently, having a ball in that, chewing the scenery in that. He's he's great in this. Uh, Fun Sport cast, Alex Castle in there, Um, Beverly D'Angelo. Beverly D'Angelo, such a scene stealer, and of course, you know, the star of of another iconic Christmas movie in her own right because she's you know she's she's Mrs. Griswold. In, in the National Lampoon series. So, of course, she's in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So when I start watching this every single Christmas for the rest of eternity, I'll be watching her in two Christmas movies um, from now on. Just really brutal and violent. The action scenes, as you expect from an 87 North movie, the action scenes are terrific. Like, they know how to stage. They know how to choreograph. Because they're, they're all stuntmen. The guys that design this stuff, 487 North. 87 North themselves are all ex action guys. They're all ex stunt men. Their founding member is, you know, Keanu Reeves's matrix stunt double who wound up directing John Wick. Um, It's an absolute banger. In no way does it disappoint. I think it's quite tidy and short. It's about 108 minutes long. It's not overly long. It's not overly, it's not, you know, disappointingly short. David Harbour is absolutely brilliant as Badass Santa. And at the same time that you do think, oh, yeah, but he's, he's going to be Santa. He's going to be kind of indestructible. He's going to be like a superhero movie. He is, but he's not. They, they do seem aware that there are limitations to him. So you can, for instance, you can kill Santa. And the movie does kind of push you up to that line and, and make it a, an actual thing that could feasibly happen, could, you know, work as a substantial threat. Uh, but this is worth seeing entirely, if for no other reason, than just John Leguizamo chewing, not even chewing the scenery, chewing his candy cane all the way through. The number of Christmas puns in this, as you could hear in the clip, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. And there's just Mm. loads of stuff like, like time for some seasons beatings and things like that. Oh, it's such a badass movie. I absolutely love it. I can't wait To see this again. This is the best Christmas movie I've seen in years. It is actually the best Christmas action movie since Die Hard. No joke, because I don't just toss that one out casually. Um, I I have seen things now that I never thought I would see. Brutal, violent things involving staples of Christmas iconography that I just never, ever expected. I've seen a man killed with a candy cane, Adam. I never expected to see that. (laughs) I was about to say, as far as the violent parts
1: go it's not just basic hardcore violence is it is it using like home alone did comic methods to turn into the violence
0: not only that they actually do reference home alone and have some fun with the actual mechanics of home alone so a couple of the stuff Brilliant. a couple of the bits from home alone do come Have you ever saw did you see if you ever seen better watch out that came out like four or five years ago that was more of a sadistic psycho thriller that rift on Home Alone. This is kind of what happens if you mix Die Hard with Home Alone a bit closer, I guess. Uh, No, I
1: I really like the sound of this and and I can hear in your voice how amazing it is. So um, I think just before we did did this podcast, we both agreed that we were both going to watch this on Christmas Eve. So um, I I really want to Uh, do exactly that. I
0: think think because it's a universal movie, it will be available on streaming in time for Christmas, which is an amazing thing. Uh, But yeah, I I just thought this was an absolute bang in five star popcorn munching Clawson action flick. I absolutely
1: loved it. Wow, what a quote from Van Connor right there. Uh, love that. Violet Night, which is out in cinemas from today, which sounds like you'll get yourself nice and festive uh, with a lot of laughs if you wanted to dive into that one. Uh, stick around then. We're going to be back very soon with Lynch and Oz, which is also in cinemas today. And 25 years of UK garage. Ah, oh, 90s lad, loved a bit of garage. I'm really looking forward to hearing what your take is on that, Van. We will be back in just a second. Hello, and we are back. Uh, so many new movies out this week, we're going to s- stick with them. So, first up, Lynch and Oz. Now, without obviously pointing out the obvious here, this has connections with The Wizard of Oz.
0: Uh, well, yeah, and David Lynch in particular. So, I, I believe it or not, I, I somehow did not know this about David Lynch, that the man is obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. Um, I think it's just something that I just just thought it was coincidence that it came up so often in his work. And when it's all laid out for you, yeah, you start to see a pattern. So, uh, written and directed by Alexandra Felipe. Now, until you, I, I didn't know the name until I pulled it up and realized, oh, this is the guy who made 7852, which is the movie about Hitchcock's Psycho, uh, Leap of Faith, William Friedkin on The Exorcist, and The People versus George Lucas. So, obviously, a guy that kind of knows his stuff when it comes to making documentaries about films and filmmakers. And here, he's done something quite interesting. What has effectively uh, put before us now is a series of video essays by notable contributors from the world of film, like Karen Kusama, um, Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead, John Waters, people like that. And they all offer their own takes on elements of David Lynch's work and how they pertain to his love of the Wizard of Oz and say it's not even it's not even a talking head documentary it's literally a video essay so it's mostly played over clips And, and in most cases even wordless clips have a listen this is this is kind of indicative of the kind of thing you're in for I do see the story of the Wizard of Oz as the story of David Lynch himself becoming a filmmaker David has gone over the rainbow from the very first film ever. He lives in a different reality than you or I do, and that's quite obvious. Why would Lynch be that absorbed
1: with The Wizard of Oz? Did he watch The Wizard of Oz on a perfect day, at the perfect time as a child, and it sort of baked into his subconscious? I love. I just love the quote in there. David Lynch was over the rainbow from the very start. Just brilliant.
0: Well, this is one of those things where I think you'll you'll actually be able to relate to this because it it, it transcends movies in a way. Um, everyone everyone who's a creative, as you will well know, I mean you're, you're a songwriter yourself, so there'll be songs that have stuck with you. There'll be there'll be songs that define mm. you as a person. Me and you know as as I relate to film, it's always been James Cameron and Terminator Two and Aliens. And that's my touchstone, and this is a documentary that very much—I'm saying documentary. It is more of an art piece, more an analytical art piece, but it really does explore what that cultural touchstone means in this—in this one case to this one person, admittedly. But there is something universal about it. There's something quite emotive about it. You—you—you—we capture that feeling quite well. I found myself watching this and thinking about myself and james cameron or you might you know hear and think, think of yourself and oasis or you know or whatever your one is it was a really captivating piece i think it's something where even if you're not a david lynch fan for how wacky and weird and wonderful david lynch is and how much of an oddball he is but also how universal and how beloved the wizard of oz is i think this is something that could, a lot of people could get into it doesn't, uh, doesn't overstay its welcome even though it's actually quite long it's 108 minutes long so it's 10 minutes short of 2 hours you don't really feel that because it's broken down into these sort of 20 minute essays And but because they explore such different facets because for instance John Waters turns up and John Waters talking about anything is not going to be the same as how Karen Kusama discusses anything mm. I mean I would listen to John Waters describe how a kettle works to me for two hours if I had the opportunity, because I'm sure it would be an experience unlike anything else in the universe. And there's a lot of that going through this. I thought this was actually a really powerful, really incredible piece of art filmmaking, but also at the same time, absolutely unmissable as far as, as providing insight into not only one of the defining filmmakers of the 20th century, but also one of the most defining movies of all time.
1: Do you know what, I think you described and explained that really well because I totally got what you meant when you said about that one thing that we all Mm. revert back to. So for me, I mean, Oasis to a point if we're going musical, but as far as uh, movies, Back to the Future, the first original Back to the Future is my entire childhood um, and Top Gun, those two movies history and, and emotions and memories and firsts and all those kind of things so i totally get you on this um, so you don't have to be a wizard of oz fan necessarily to enjoy this no
0: and you don't even have to be a david lynch fan say he's a fascinating character but it's it's, it's a, a really riveting insight and exploration of love obsession homage and tribute more than anything else Amazing. All right, well, that's Lynch and Oz, uh, which
1: is in cinemas from today. Right, next, back to the 90s for me with this one, 25 Years of UK Garage. Bring it on.
0: Yeah, this was this was a hell of a good time. I watched this when England, were England playing Wales the other night, I think? I, I, I yeah, went Monday. The, uh, yeah, I, I, watched, I watched this during the England-Wales match. I, I obviously didn't have the match on. Um, do, new documentary from uh, Terry Stone and Richard Turner. And it is what it says on the tin. It's 25 years of UK garage. How did garage start? How did it evolve? Where did it evolve? Where did it go? What brought it down? And where is it today? Uh, do you know what? That, that's, that's really it. That is what it says on the tin. Have a listen, and, and this will give you a good vibe. There's, there's a lot of fun, fun fun being had in this one. We're youngers as well, and it's like we're looking at, we're thinking Garage Nation is like proper gig. Got a phone call, like, yeah, it's got number one. Next thing you know, So Solid blew up.
1: We'd get kids coming to Garage Nation. Garage Nation was one of them. That's how I got introduced to Garage Nation. It's like, we just out, like,
0: exploded. It's a lifestyle garage, and you, you could see someone who was into it. Clubland's always been a little bit naughty, whatever era you were from.
1: Oh, do you know what? I'm sold. I mean, just listening to that with a little bit of music excerpts excerpts in there, I mean, that took me back to my Citroën AX GT, Casey and Jojo, (laughs) All My Life, Garage Remix, 1999, absolute heaven. Love it. I mean, it is
0: fascinating. There is, I think, a much richer and more vivid history to UK Garage than I think anyone really gives the genre credit for, Uh, particularly as regards the way that it evolved involved in the UK and then sort of migrated across to Inapper and then sort of kind of came back and found itself vilified in the process and that exploration of that period is quite fascinating it's worth noting as well that one of the major clubs that they use is right across the street from my mate's flat and I never knew that that's what it used to be used for um, brilliant a roster of all-star talent in their uh, oxide and neutrino of course every member of so solid has to turn up Dane Bowers turns up you know DJ Swiss. and I'm, I'm fascinated by the way. by I, I had no idea that every member of So Solid had aged this much. Like Harvey looked, I mean, he is decades older than I thought he would be because I still think of him as looking how he did in the early 2000s. Um, it's a really riveting thing. Obviously, a kick ass soundtrack, naturally. I, I will say yeah. this though I do have a gripe. Uh-oh. And I, it, it's a hell of a gripe given the subject matter, but this might have one of the worst sound mixes i've seen on a documentary in a long time because you, you listen to one person talk and then you listen to the next person talk much louder and you listen and in the and the same song plays in the background behind them all and yet oh god yeah. i will say though the minute this was over it was straight on you know uk garage classic playlist on spotify it, it, absolute cracker um no stone particularly left unturned the there's a lot of uh, you know throwing your hands up and, and, and owning up to things. Uh, I had forgotten how much I like Miss Dynamite. I will say, I will say that I had uh, I had forgotten how much I loved uh, Lisa Mafia and people like that as well. I, it, it was a it was a great trip down memory lane. This one I did start to feel quite old after I'd uh, after I'd watched. If I'm being honest. Yeah. No, I think I, would I probably ask. would.
1: Yeah, I probably will as well. I mean, I'm going to watch this. Does DJ Luck at MC Neek make an appearance at all in this?
0: Yes, of course they do. DJ Swiss, ah, a whole lot of them. Good. Ev- everyone you can name turns up in this. If they got Dane Bowers, they're getting everyone. You know what I mean? <laughs> Brilliant! All right, well, uh, this
1: is 25 years of UK Garage. Uh, that is on digital on Monday. So, whereabouts can we catch that on
0: digital, fam? You'll be able to catch that in your, you know, your, your Amazon stores, your Apple stores, etc. Uh, I, I can't recommend it highly enough, though. Absolutely check this out. Just, I mean, it's got one of the best soundtracks you're going to find on a dock this year. And I'm going to say, incidentally, I now, I, I now want, nay, demand an entire streaming documentary series entirely about the exploits of the so-solid villa in Iron I need to see that.
1: <laughs> well, that's intrigued me even more. So, um, like I said, Digital Monday. You can watch it. 25 years of UK Garage. We are going to be back in just a minute when we talk about The Infernal Machine and Van Connor gives us his honest opinion back in a minute. so then we are back for one last ride and yes you guessed it there's another new movie out this week the
0: infernal machine it's an embarrassment of riches of this last few weeks for new releases isn't it like we yeah. don't, i can't remember the last time we did preview but you know what i'm not complaining because we get to talk about some really cool movies this being one of them so uh right I'm going to throw my hands up and say, for the longest time, I thought this movie starred Stephen Lang because the poster is just a close-up of a face that looks an awful lot like Stephen Lang from Avatar's face. Turns out, no, it's Guy Pearce. Um, this is uh, this is directed by, or well, written directed by Andrew Hunt, based on a story by Lewis Cornfield, and it is about a, a reclusive writer played by uh, Guy Pearce with, I think he's meant to be a British accent. He has written a book uh, known as The Infernal Machine, and it's kind of a lot like Catcher in the Rye. The idea is that this book has been read by an impressionable young man at some point who has then gone on a killing spree and blamed having read the book for that. He now, so the writer now lives in seclusion. The young man's been in prison for 17 years. He's played by Alex Pettifer. Uh One day, out of the blue, our intrepid author, Guy Pearce, starts receiving uh, a series of fan letters from an aspiring, another aspiring author. And it starts to remind him of a, a young student that he had once upon a time when he came up with The Infernal Machine. He wants no parts of this this fan, he, he he doesn't like communicating with the outside world. But these letters start mounting up, and he starts to let his guard down ever so slightly and become involved, almost almost getting attached, as it were. But before long, as they start arranging a potential meeting between the two, for instance, things start to now well, they they start to not add up quite as much, and then very very strange incidents start to occur. In his very insular and isolated little world. And, well, yeah, this way badness comes. Have a listen. This is a message for William Dukent. This is Bruce Coburn. Mr. Dukent. Mr. Dukent? I'm calling in response to the letters I've received from you. I'm not sure how you found me, but your letters constitute harassment, so please stop sending them. You're that writer of The Infernal Machine. I remember them pulling it off the shelves because of a shooter from Knoxville. He's the reason I never wrote a second book. The right combination of words will
1: make a man do
0: just about anything. The 17-year-old killed 13 people after reading the controversial novel The Infernal Machine.
1: You know it gets real when there's a drone over the speech <laughs> you know it's gonna really hit the what's it you know
0: yeah you do don't you <laughs> as soon as you get that mmm yeah yeah, oh, no, yeah. I well, like the sound of this yeah, we used to have the blah, whenever things were meant to sound epic in movies. We had that for like three or four years. Every time a movie went to be epic, it went Yeah. Same kind of same kind of thing. Uh, this, this will really float you boat, Adam. This is a really, really solid thriller. It's kind of meta in a strange way. But at the same time, it, it it keeps you guessing. It's not gonna go in any direction that you think it will. When this started out, when when I was as I started watching this. My first thought was, oh yay, another riff on like secret window. We don't get like four or five of these director video a year. Good lord. Um also what the hell is that accent the guy Pierce is doing? <laughs> I really love this. I thought this was great. Um Alex Petifer perfectly cast in there. There's another bit of casting. No, Quite want to spoil for you in there. Uh, Alice Eve turns up in what I can only describe as one of the creepiest scenes um, of any movie this year. Like just a, a really twisted and disturbed scene. There's there's a there's a lot of, of subversion going on here. There's, a, there's a, but it, and it ties in with their attempts to be quite meta. The the meta textual side of this is not quite as clever as I, I think it thinks it is, but. It attempts to come out of left field and to pull the rug from you and say, "Ha surprise!" Those do land, and they land quite well. A lot of that comes down to Pierce's casting, because if there's anything Guy Pierce knows how to do, and quite clearly accents not being one of those things, uh, if there is one thing that Guy Pierce knows how to do, it's it, it's deliver intensity. And, and that intensity is here in spades. I thought this was really good. For a movie that kind of, kind of has come out with no fanfare, that, you know, there's not really a marketing budget put behind this. I think it's Paramount Plus in the US, for instance. It's, it can be a very pretty quiet release here. If you can see The Infernal Machine. Absolutely do, but I mean, by all means, go and see Violent Night first because you know, human being, yo, come on. Um, but if, if Violent Night sold out and the screen next door is showing Infernal Machine, you will not call that a wasted night at all. It is a really good, really solid, twisty, turny thriller that does take you to some unexpected places. It's just maybe not quite as clever as uh, clever and, and, and meta-textual as it thinks it is.
1: I'm glad you said that Guy Pearce's performance is good, bar the accent, because um, I haven't, from memory, I haven't seen Guy Pearce in anything else other than Neighbours, which of course is now back again. And he's meant to be on the street living there from the end of the finale. Um, but I, I, I would typecast him almost as that. So he's, he's quite convincing in this as, as a different, if you remember him in Neighbours, I don't know if you do or not, but as a different character.
0: Well, Guy Pearce takes the uh, takes his place amongst the esteemed rank of actors who, you know, started on Neighbours and then gone into some quite good Hollywood mm. roles. Uh, as far as Guy Pearce goes, let me see if I can rattle off some Guy Pearce movies off the top of my head. So, L.A. Confidential, Rules of Engagement, uh, Iron Man is the villain in Iron Man 3. Oh, of course he is. Uh oof. There's, there's loads of Guy Pierce movies, and I'm forgetting them now off the top of my head. But for me, it's always LA Confidential, Iron Man 3, and Rules of Engagement, because he's just a badass in all of those. Uh, but yeah, Guy Pierce has been a load of things. Incidentally, other actors who you know have been in Neighbours gone on to big things, Include obviously Alan Dale. Uh, was his name? Grandad from the OC. Uh, yeah. Margot Robbie. Uh, oh, God, who else? Oh, oh, Kyle. We've got to talk about Kyle even can't discount Kylie, star of the Street Fighter movie and Doctor Who Christmas special, uh, of Voyage of the Damned. But uh, yeah, Guy Pearce, I think he's kind of a big name still. I would argue that Guy Pearce is one of Neighbours' big success stories as far as Hollywood breakout roles go. I'm just going to name drop here because you did mention
1: Alan Dale. I used to work with his son. That's really? Out. Yeah, I did. Hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm actually pulling
0: up the Guy Pearce IMDb page so that I can feel like a complete idiot. As I, as I, I look at all the ones I've forgotten. Okay, he was also in *Mary Queen of Scots* a few years. *Alien Covenant* and *Prometheus*. Of course, he was in those. I, I forgot about that one somehow. Uh, the Rover, he was in The Rover, I forgot about that. Lawless with Tom Hardy, that was one of his as well. Mildred Pierce was TV, but technically it counts. Traitor with Don Cheadle. Uh, the Proposition with Ray Winston. Rules of engagement I already had. <laughs> Ravenous, one of my very favorite movies. Ravenous with Robert Carlyle, where they're cannibals. I absolutely love that movie. Weirdly, it's on Disney+. Plus. If you've never seen Ravenous, absolutely watch Ravenous. You'll throw up at some point during it, but do watch Ravenous. Okay, point proven.
1: I'll back out now. He's a good actor and he's been in lots of things. Um, (laughs) So that's The Infernal Machine, which is out in cinemas today. And um, again, that's something
0: else I'm whacking on my list to watch in the next couple of months. We both forgot Memento. We both forgot the bloody Christopher Nolan movie. The first Christopher Nolan (laughs) movie that stars Guy Pearce. We both forgot that. Good Lord, I'm slipping in
1: my old age what are we even doing doing a movie podcast if we forget know, something like that I know
0: that? I know for shame for shame
1: <laughs> well um, next week then we have got The Silent Twins to talk about have you seen that yet Then
0: uh, I've not seen that yet that's Letitia Wright I'm looking forward to that one I like Letitia Wright i got to be honest I mean outside of some of her real world controversies obviously but she's a good actress uh, Anonymous Club which I have no idea I've not even seen the trailer for that one yet no, no, so get in line behind that one. I know very little about what's out next week. Uh, uh, Rimini, uh, Rimini, which I think is a, a drama about uh, a beach town between seasons. Like, I know that much about it. I had the link through today. Nocebo. I'm a presu- I'm a presuming I've pronounced that correctly. Yes, Nocebo. I know that's a new movie, from, new movie from Vertigo. So I'm quite looking forward to seeing what we get out of that one. Uh, Charlotte, I don't know anything about as well. And A Love Song. Is out next week. It's quite a quiet week for releases next week because I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think next week was meant to be the original release week for Avatar 2, and then it got pushed back a week. Oh. So I think they were just trying to get everything big out the way, you know? Yeah, I cannot wait to review
1: that, and I'm going to do my best to watch that before we talk about it as well because I loved the first Avatar. But um, so yeah, we've got all of those to come next week. So hopefully you can join us. And uh, until then, I've
0: been Adam Ball. I've been Van Conner and we shall return.